this morning, we're starting a two-week series called Eternity Minded. And last week, I talked about how the greatest thing I will ever hear is going to be when I stand before Jesus and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's going to be the greatest thing I ever hear. And I started talking about that because we are so blessed as Americans. We are so blessed in the culture and the society and the, the world that we live in that it is very, very easy for us to be so focused on right here and right now and forget the reality that this is just the dash in between our birth date and our death date, and there's an eternity on the other side of this life. And this morning, we're going to get into it, but I want to tell you a story first. I was in seventh grade, and if you know me, I'm a history buff. I love history, especially World War II, and um, my seventh grade teacher absolutely loved the L.A. Dodgers, and so she made this game for our test review that we would play baseball and it was two teams, and you'd get up, and if you got the question right, it was a hit. If you got the bonus question right, it was a home run, all this kind of stuff. Well, it was the World War II test, and I myself thought of myself as like the NL MVP, right? I am the home run champion of this unit, and I'm excited about it. And I get up, and this is a true story. Bases are loaded. It's the last inning, and I come up to bat. And I know that we're going to win because I'm that confident. And I get up. And you know how seventh graders have to be overly dramatic about every single thing they do, right? Right? I mean, if you've never, I've never had a seventh grader, but I've been around enough of them to know that they're extremely dramatic. And so we're all like, batting like this. And she asks the question, and I just swing and give the answer. I'm expecting the crowd to go wild, and I was wrong. But I did not believe that I was wrong. So then I began to give her all of the random World War II facts I could think of to try and argue the fact that she was wrong. And she was not. And so then I continued to argue and, and, and try to justify that what I actually meant was this and it wasn't that. I, I argued and argued. And she finally said, Chris, you're out. Your team loses. It's time to go to lunch. I was so unbelievably confident that I was correct, that I argued the point that I was right, even though it was clear that I was wrong. I now know that I was wrong. I can admit it. It's tough, but I can. And I knew that standing there that I let everybody down, that all my friends are like, oh, I thought you had that. Me too, pal, me too. And I remember this feeling of absolute disappointment and disbelief and like the shock of how in the world did I get this wrong. Couldn't believe it. There are going to be millions of people who stand before God one day that think they have the right answer. And when they get there, they're going to give the answer. They're going to, they're going to walk in and think they got it. And they won't. If this is your first time here this morning, I encourage you to come back one week. Because in the three years that I have been pastor, I haven't preached on this. I haven't preached on this subject actually since probably 2016, but as I said last week, I am not the kind of pastor that wants a church to have great arms and bird legs. We don't skip leg day, amen? Can I get an amen? We don't skip leg day. All right. So if you would, pray with me real quick this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I pray that you would allow me to... Say what you once said, the way you want it said, none of my own opinion or theology, but all of you. Let every person on the sound of my voice leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. Everybody said, Amen. Ecclesiastes 3.11 said that he 
has made everything at its time, and also he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God has done from beginning to end. He has put eternity in our hearts. In Genesis 2, 7, the story of creation, it says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. If i, I got a lot to cover today. I'm going to try and do as quick as I can, so if I'm talking fast, somebody wave at me. But in Genesis chapter 1, we got the story of creation. In Genesis 2, we get the detailed creation of man. And what happens is God breathes the breath of life into Adam. <clears throat> Adam is the only thing God created that he breathed into, which is why mankind is the only eternal creation that he made. It's the only thing that lives for eternity because it's the only thing that has his spirit inside of them. And so he breathed the breath of life into them. And so... Scripture, as I've just showed you, and there are so many more scriptures I could have given you, but the point I'm making is that it is obvious, according to Scripture, that you and I are eternal. We are eternal beings. And I don't know if you've noticed, but this body is anything but eternal. I made 36 last week, and I called my dad, and he's like, how you feeling? He's like, I feel 36. And like, I felt 35. And he said, because you're not 38 yet. And I said, what about 38? He said, I don't know. 38 is when it just took longer to wake up and move. And that was what it was for him. Now, my dad's, you know, had a, basically every medical situation you could ever possibly, except his eyes. His eyes are good, right? Thank God for those. But maybe, maybe, you know, he just kind of got a little rough hand there. But I, I can imagine that everybody in here that is <clears throat> wiser than me, would be able to attest to the fact that your body is not what it used to be. You don't have to amen me that loud. I'm not trying to put anybody on blast this morning. I had one guy tell me because I started losing weight. You know, I'm down my 20 pounds, whatever it is. I'm still pushing for a little more. And I had somebody tell me, you better do that before you're 40. I said, why? Because losing one pound is like losing three right now, three or four. I'm like, man, that's horrible. What's it like at 50? He said, you don't, you're just fat. I was like, really? He's like, basically, that's what happens. Like, you try, you could, you could fast for a month and still gain weight. I don't know how it happens. It just happens. These bodies don't last forever. But there's something on the inside of you and I that is, that is different than this flesh that we live in, and that's the part of us that lives for eternity. And the reality that never gets talked about anymore because it doesn't fill seats, it doesn't get a bunch of likes, it's not a popular sermon, as I said last week, I'm not interested in filling chairs. I'm interested in filling heaven, right? So but what's not popular is that after this life, there is another one. And I know that there are a lot of different opinions and theories and things out there, and we can debate those if you'd like. I, I like debating over coffee. It's fun. But when I read this book, I see two alternatives. And... and I was praying about how to really go into this, and the Lord gave me a way to explain it that I've never explained it before. The two options for eternity are like this. One eternal destination is completely with Christ. And one eternal destination is completely without him. Now, you may be saying that might not make a whole lot of sense. Well, if you know who Jesus is and what Jesus is, and what he brings, and what comes when he's around. You understand. I want to show you this scripture in 1 Corinthians. 
chapter 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. What that verse is saying is that right now, even the person who prays the most, reads the Bible the most, the most spiritual person on the planet only understands and sees God as in a mirror dimly lit. That's it. The only, that's the only way he sees God is in a mirror that is dimly lit. Which means I've had some pretty amazing encounters with God. I mean, I, 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 I am not who I used to be because of him. Some of you were drug addicts and you're not anymore. Some of you were alcoholics and you're not anymore. Some of you were religious, pious jerks and you're not anymore. Why? Because of Jesus. But think about this. The best that you have ever experienced him is still barely it. But now think about before you knew him and how bad it was. Think about the worst of the pit that you were ever in. Maybe it was the pit of addiction. Maybe it was the pit of self-righteousness that makes you think that I don't, I don't need anything because I'm, I'm a good person. right? Think about the worst pit that you were ever in and realize that's dimly lit. Why? Because, see, right now in this life, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. So you and I still have the choice to put our faith in Jesus. And we have that choice until the moment we stop breathing. The thief on the cross lets us know that it could be our dying breath and he'll save us. Which throws the, completely flies in the face of all the works things that people say you got to do. He saved the thief on the cross. There have been countless people who have given their life to Jesus on their deathbed. Because that's when the reality hit them of eternity. But when you think about the pit that you were in, it's dimly lit. We don't even experience the worst of what life is like without Christ in this life. Because as long as I'm living, there's still hope. As long as I'm living, I can still find peace. As long as I'm living, I can still find joy. Why? Because I can still find Jesus. But the reality is, is that, one, that when this life ends, that's the end of that. And there are two destinations. We obviously know one is heaven and the other one is hell. And nobody likes to talk about it. And as I said, this is your first time, come back. But we're not skipping leg day. Amen? Amen. Go to Mark chapter 9. Before I got it, I want to hit this a little bit more. When I was reading this this week and praying about it, and I realized that even my best days with him are in a mirror dimly lit, and even my worst days without him are a mirror dimly lit. I kind of got a new context for how to understand things. And as we read on this morning, I'll be able to bring us back to that point because I know some of you have been through some dark days. I know some of you have had that pistol in your mouth. Some of you have had it on your head. Some of you have had the pills in your hand. Some of you have had the knife to your wrists. Some of you have been to that point. And that's not as dark as it gets. And when you, when you realize that, that'll make you think. Some of you have been to the, the highest of the high. I'm not going to lie to you. When LSU struck that boy out in game three of the World Series, that's pretty high. And I'm not even a baseball guy. It made me one. I'm serious. I don't, I don't usually watch baseball. I called... John Elkins and Brandon Wilson, I said, I got to watch these games with y'all because I have no clue what I'm doing. Like, hit the ball, yay. 
But watching, watching the, the explosion, right? That's still in part. Joy is still in part. Peace is still in part. Because we're not with him yet. And he's the embodiment of all these things. Mark chapter 9. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. That's, this Jesus, it's in red. It's better for you to enter life lame, eternal life lame, rather than having two feet and be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and their fire does not quench. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes be cast in a hellfire where their worm doesn't die and their fire is not quenched. I'm going to give you four points this morning. The first one is the eternal problem. The eternal problem is laid out in this verse. Notice it says, if your foot causes you to sin, chop it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. The foot was not the problem. The eye was not the problem. The sin was the problem. That was the problem. And so Jesus, here's the part that gets me out, because if you go look on the Internet, there are a ton. I mean, I, could, I was shocked at how many people right now are preaching that hell doesn't exist, that it's not real. But when you read this, Jesus says, cut off your foot and pluck out your eye if you have to in order to escape hell. To not be thrown into the fire that is not quenched. If, Jesus, if hell didn't exist, why would Jesus recommend such a pretty drastic and radical action? Now, please do not go home and saw your foot off. Or pluck your eye out. That is not what I'm telling you to do. That is not what he is telling you to do. What he's telling you to do is anything that is causing you to fall into sin, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Don't play with it. That's like the kid who plays with a loaded gun or the alcoholic that still hangs out in the bar. Don't do it. He's saying, do not play with this stuff because no man is promised tomorrow, much less his next breath. Don't play with it. And so the first thing is the eternal problem. I don't know if you've ever seen the show The Walking Dead or any zombie movie, really. But it's, it's especially kind of explained in The Walking Dead, right? And if, if one of the characters gets bit on a limb, what do they do? They take a machete and they hack the thing off. It's pretty gruesome. But the reason they do it is because they got to cut it off as soon as possible to keep the infection from getting into the rest of the body. And if they cut the arm off or they cut the leg off fast enough, the infection won't spread. Sin is the infection. Sin is the infection. And every single person is born with it. And there's nothing we can do to get out of it. I sin differently than you. You sin differently than we. Me, one of my favorite words is the word proclivity. The word proclivity is simply a leaning or a tendency. That's why, like myself, I have never once in my life ever been tempted to smoke weed or do any kind of drug at all. It was never anything in me at all. I was like, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to go do that today. That was never the issue. I would 100% be the lead singer in a cover band getting plastered every night if not for Jesus. That's, that's, that's what I would be because that's where I lean. You see what I'm saying? So, so we, we get lost in sin, the semantics of things. Just talk about it for what it is. And Jesus is saying, cut it off. Do whatever you got to do to cut it off. That's the eternal problem is sin is there. What is sin? Sin is simply anything that disobeys the word of God. In Genesis, when Adam eats the fruit, the fruit wasn't sin. The fact that he disobeyed God was sin. 
We don't set what sin is. This sets what sin is. The word of God sets what sin is. It's our job to obey it. That's it. It's simple. It really is. We can debate it if you want, but it really comes down to that. The second thing is the eternal punishment. We got the eternal problem. Now we got the eternal punishment. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, which is why this body is going to die, as we said earlier. We're eternal beings, but death isn't attached just to this body. My soul, my emotions, who Chris is. Psalm 139 says that he saw me he saw my substance while being yet unformed. That means who I was, my personality, my purpose, my calling existed before this body did. God put me in this body because this body, apparently, for whatever reason, with this bad hairline and everything, this body is what I needed to accomplish his purpose. I was talking to somebody the other day. They were talking about how, what is it like, you know, because my birthday was last Sunday or whatever. I'm like, yeah, well, the hairline thing kind of bothers me, but thank God I can grow a good beard. Because if I couldn't grow a good beard, I don't know what I would do with myself. I'm serious. This hairline and no beard? Thank God Cliff got the hairline right. Because they can't grow a beard to save their lives. But they're working on it. We're praying for them. Hallelujah. But this body is not eternal. I am. But just like sin kills this body, sin will kill me for eternity. Because sin kills everything. It just kills everything. Now, we got to look at, 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 and again, this is, this is, we're not skipping late day. Look back at, at Mark chapter 9. We're going to go to verse, go to verse, I don't have the verses on here. Go back to 43, I'll find it for you. Go to 44, sorry. Do me a favor, we're going to go to English class real quick. English class. T-H-E-I-R is the possessive personal pronoun it's speaking to an individual I'm going by their house I'm going to their condo on vacation it's theirs it's not mine it's theirs it's personal it's someone else's what this is telling me is that their worm the worm represents torment now see when we study this it's, again, nobody likes it. Well, but it's in here. And it says their worm, which means their torment, which tells me that when it comes to eternity without God, it's not just fire like we've all, like most people think. It literally says here their torment, a personal torment, a personal worm. That means there's something that you and I, would be tormented by, just like I'm tempted differently than you, I will be tormented differently than you outside of Jesus if I spend eternity in hell. The torment itself will be different. Why? Because what may torment you may not torment me, just like what tempts you may not tempt me. But it says the worm never dies, so it never ends. Then it gets to the fire doesn't go out. Yes, there is fire there. Now, Pastor Chris, if we only have a body, I don't know. I don't, but I've been outside this past week, and I'm just going to go ahead and assume that if it's worse than that, 
Somebody told me at Metairie this morning, they walked outside of Walmart yesterday and saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's so hot, the three Hebrew boys is in the fire looking for the fourth man with the snowballs, right? I don't want it. It says fire. I don't want it. Some of y'all like the heat. You ain't going to like this heat. Y'all need prayer if you like it outside right now. Somebody posted, I'll still take this over 32. You need Jesus. Lots and lots of Jesus. But the fire doesn't go out. But that's not the worst part. If you remember the beginning, I said eternity completely without Christ. See, the worst part is I could be going through the most painful experience of my life. I could be going through the most brokenhearted experience in my life. And I could be an atheist. And in that moment, I could turn to Jesus and he comes immediately and grabs me and holds me. I could, I could be lost in addiction. I could be living for myself without any regard for anybody else. And the moment I turn myself to Jesus, he comes and he brings peace and he brings joy and he brings healing to my life. But this is the difference is while I'm on this earth, that's available. But post this life, there will be a place where there is no hope, where there is no possibility of joy, where there is no possibility of peace. Why? Because Jesus isn't there. Psalm 139 says, if I made my bed in the depths, you could find me. If I was soared among the mountains, you would be there. There's only one place that he doesn't go. Only one place. So we got the eternal problem. We got the eternal punishment. We've got the eternal reality. Hebrews chapter 9. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Everybody's going to be judged. I am, you are. I don't know when it's going to happen. Last week, I, I talked to you about a buddy of mine. Took me on, a, you know, my helicopter hunting trip last year. Got to kill my big 10-point. Went to his office to pray. Had a massive heart attack and died face first in his Bible. 56 years old. If you'd have met him, you'd have thought he's a linebacker. Big old strong man of God. Loved this family, loved this church, loved his kids, loved his grandkids. About as good of a guy as you're ever going to meet. Boom, drop dead. Why? I, I don't know. It says here that there's an appointed time for men to die. And then the judgment. It's important that you understand something. One of the biggest questions asked in regards to talking about hell. It's quiet in here. One of the biggest questions regards to asking about hell is how could a loving God send someone to hell? It's a valid question if, if, if you're not like a student of scripture or you're not somebody who's very, like it's a very valid question because when you talk to most believers, we're always talking about the love of God, how great God's love is. God loves you so much, which this is obviously true. So when, when we talk about this side of things, like, well, how could a loving God ever do that? And I'm here to tell you, he doesn't. God has never sent anyone to hell, any human being. He'll send the enemy to hell. But he's never sent a person. Ever. Sin, listen carefully, sin is destined for hell. Sin is destined for hell. And if I 
choose sin over Jesus, I will be punished with sin. It's, that, it's, it's really that simple. Sin will be punished. We have this joke in our house. It's not as much anymore. But when Bethany and really all our kids, but especially B.B., when she first realized that she could, like, empty her plate in the trash can and then put it in the sink, she thought it was the coolest thing ever. But the problem was, is every single thing on the plate went in the trash. No matter what it was. And she would sprint running and just, I mean, slam dunk it, and then throw it in the sink. Wham! She'd throw it. I can't tell you how many forks and spoons and cups and full-on plates we dug out of the trash. Why? Because if it was on the plate, it's going in the trash. If it's got sin, it's going in the fire. So we've got the eternal reality here. If sin rules in my life, if I choose sin, if that's the life that I choose to live, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about if I just say I want this over Jesus, I'm making the decision. I heard an old preacher say one time, one of my favorite verses of Scripture, Luke 19, 10, where Jesus is in the garden and he prays, not my will but yours be done. When we say no to Jesus, what we're telling God is not, my, not your will but mine be done. And then when we stand before him after we've rejected him, he says, not my will but yours be done. And we get to live with the choice we've made. So we've got this eternal problem, we've got this eternal punishment, and we've got this eternal reality. But I'm here to tell you that there's an eternal solution. There's an eternal solution. Hebrews 9, 27. And it's the same verse we just read, but the next, we're reading the next one too. And it's appointed for men to die once, but out of this the judgment. So Christ was offered once. To bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Every person will be judged by their works. The only difference is I will not be judged by my works. I'll be judged by his. Why? Because I've put my faith in Jesus. And so when God looks at me, he doesn't see what I've done. He sees what he did. And there is no one deserving of eternal life with God because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because I've placed my faith in Christ, because I've gone to him and say, I'm, I, I know that I can't do this right. I know that I am incapable of living the way you want me to live without you. But I'm surrendering to you anyway because I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and you rose again three days later. I'm going to put my faith in you. And when that happens, God no longer sees the sin that I have committed. He sees the shed blood of Jesus from 2,000 years ago applied on my behalf. And see, the eternal solution is that though all have sinned, one man didn't. And he died so that we wouldn't have to. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, Pastor Chris, he said everybody dies. 
You know, this body expires. But 1 Corinthians said that death, oh death, where is your sting? One day I'm across from this life into the next, and it's not going to hurt. There's going to be no fear involved, no, no, no concern involved. Because I'm in him. And he already defeated death. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that, through, <clears throat> that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And John 14, 6 says that Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. <clears throat> I'm not a perfect person. Y'all have heard me talk about me in traffic. I am not a perfect person. If you've watched the Saints game with me, I'm not a perfect person. You watched the LSU Bama game with me, I'm not a perfect person. Sometimes if you're in my house and my kids are cutting up and you hear me from outside, you'd be like, he definitely ain't a perfect person, for sure. We know that. But I can tell you what I am as I'm saved. I'm not saved because of what I've done. I'm saved because of what he did. I put my faith in Jesus. A song I've been singing a lot lately is, I uh, can't think of the name of it now. Wow, that's awesome. Promises. Promises. Don't you love when that happens? You go to make a statement and poof, it's gone. 36, right? I guess. Um, I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He's never let me down. Y'all, I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. I just did a funeral a few weeks ago for Brother Russell Pratt. He came here, faithful member. He came here to the very end. It's the only person I've ever heard tell death had had to wait till he got back from his concert. He legitimately sat right there at the doctors. He told me, the doctors told me I'm not going to live through the weekend, but I told him that's not going to work. I got tickets to Casting Crowns on Monday night. So it's going to have to wait till after that. I guess I'll score up with him Wednesday. And he, he, he died Thursday, that Thursday. I just did his funeral. And as I stood there, and I could talk about the grace and mercy of God because I knew Brother Russell's heart, but in all reality, I didn't know for a fact his heart. Because I'm not Russell. I'm not God. No one knows where you actually stand with Jesus. Nobody does. When I do funerals for believers, I stand up and I, I stand on the faith that I watch them live and I watch them display and I watch them walk out. I stand on it. But the truth is that they could have been far from him in their heart. On the flip side, somebody who lived like a heathen, hated God. I'm not going to stand up and say, I know, where, I know they're in hell. I'll never do that. Why? Because the grace of God is strong enough that if that last breath had Jesus on it, they were Jesus. Well, Pastor Chris, what do you mean by that? I'll settle it when I get there. But what I do know is that while I have breath in these lungs, 
I'm going to make sure that people know about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because it's by him that I'm anything good. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?